0: My name is Maria Kent-Beers, and my co-host Rachel Martinez and I are pleased to present Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with FTD. We hope this episode leaves you feeling more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me.
1: who I am where I come from here we are we're with Erin Erin is currently in Michigan and Erin is going to be talking about her father Pete's journey with FTD and Erin the way we like to start is just jumping into when you noticed a change what behaviors you saw all right well I would say in the late 90s He
2: started becoming more apathetic and distant he started drinking more uh a lot of the hallmarks of other ftd stories that i hear he's he's a brilliant brilliant man and i wonder sometimes if he wasn't able to hide a lot of it from us for a long time Um, that being said he was diagnosed in 2008 I'm telling stories about 1998, 2000. The The first 15 years with him weren't that bad. It's just been these last five or six. But at the beginning, it was definitely apathy, disconnection. It's hard to explain. Although I know that people who have loved ones who have FTD understand it. It's It's like you don't believe them when they say they love you.
1: Mm-hmm. Something
2: just doesn't ring true anymore.
1: That is such a good point. They almost seem a little hollow in there. Like, I love you. Are you sure you want to phone a friend on that one? Like it just doesn't feel genuine. I can relate to that. Exactly. So you started noticing this sort of apathetic withdrawn dad who suddenly changed. Um, Yes. Did you ever talk to him about it? Was he still speaking at the time? my mom
2: basically brought it to my attention i was living in colorado and she was she you know they they tried to protect us from a lot of it and i i can't even say for certain i know the whole story from the beginning because Mm -hmm. it's very very difficult for my mom to talk about it now for a couple of reasons one it was just a nightmare and two she went through it alone It's always been very important to her to protect his reputation and maintain his dignity and he was such a well respected admired and loved member of our community. That when he was eventually arrested for home invasion. It was like a little shockwave through our town, but that you know finding out that he'd been arrested for home invasion was a pretty big red flag.
0: What did your mother think was going on with him? Has she shared with you kind of what her theory was as to why his behavior had changed? She
2: had absolutely no idea. But he was her husband, her life partner, her best friend. She knew him better than anyone else in the world and she believed with everything she had that this was not him, there was something wrong, and she was gonna do whatever she had to do to figure it out. So he saw psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, uh, neuropsychologists, they all missed it. He was diagnosed with, you know, maybe he's just having a series of nervous breakdowns, he's clinically depressed, it's a (laughs) midlife crisis.
3: Yeah, that's what we thought.
2: <laughs> one, yep. So he he's in therapy, right? And they're trying to figure out what the root, what the core is. Um, he offered to be hypnotized. Maybe something traumatic happened to him in his childhood. Just had no idea. It wasn't until my mom just happened to finally say, I want to get a PET scan. I want to get an MRI. I want somebody to look at his brain. This was in 2008, after he had already been in jail. And as soon as the neurologist saw the MRI, he said, I've got good news and bad news. I know what it is. Your husband has frontotemporal dementia and the bad news is there's absolutely nothing we can do. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Go home. That's, yeah, get, that's across the board. You know, in order and we wish you the best. It's an awful diagnosis. No one deserves it. Good luck.
0: And where are your parents located?
2: Um, We're in the Upper Peninsula
0: of Michigan.
2: It's a very rural area in a little town called Norway. We're right on the Wisconsin border. So even finding a neurologist uh, was challenging in the late 90s, early 2000s. We would generally travel to Green Bay. Wisconsin Mm -hmm. was the closest big city to Mm -hmm. us. But after the neurologist told us, uh, good luck, that was... They didn't make a follow-up appointment. They mm. weren't interested, really, in in maintaining or anything. So it fell on the their primary care physician, who was ill-equipped, but did right. absolutely the best they could.
1: So how old was Pete at diagnosis?
2: At diagnosis, which was two thousand and eight, he was he was sixty-eight, approximately sixty when it hit the fan. <laughs> mm. So figuring onset late
0: 50s, right? Mm-hmm. And wow. what did your mom do next after receiving the diagnosis? Did she bring in help? What what was kind of her plan of attack?
2: She was just so relieved it wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something he was choosing to do. He wasn't just going off the rails. She knew what it was and from there on she could tackle it full on so she did bring him home he's still at home with us mm-hmm. okay. my husband and I moved back to Michigan six years ago okay thinking that we were coming for the end and we wanted to be there in those last few years but I'm starting to think he might outlive all of us oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. he's still up yeah. on the move chattering he, he talks nonstop. none so of it he's makes it communicating
0: sense, okay but he yeah. communicates all the time Do you think he, I don't know if this is an odd question, do you think he has any sense of what's going on or that he's ill? He's always from day
2: one been in denial. I do not have dementia. There is nothing wrong with me. I don't know what your problem is. I just wanted to see what the kitchen table in that house looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's always been in straight up denial about it but i've had conversations with him over the last 10 or 15 where he knew something he just knew something wasn't right he just mm. couldn't put his finger on it he couldn't verbalize it and every once in a while still i know there's a flash of knowledge in his eye you know like mm. there'll just be a moment where there he is all of a sudden he just reappeared in his own face and and then it's gone mm. I don't know it's crazy
0: it's just such a
2: crazy disease
0: it really really is and does your mom i know you and your husband moved back but um you know does your mom have any other help with care that's a lot she's been caring for 20 years right yep 20
2: years she's had him at home as his primary caregiver honestly you know my husband and i moved back not so much to help dad, but to help mom. Yes. She had had no life. She wasn't going to church. She dropped out of all of her clubs. She she couldn't leave him alone. He, you know, you got to keep eyes on him still to this day, eyes on him 24 seven. Um, and I, I wanted her to have a life again. We've made that happen a little bit, but that's her man. That's her husband. That's her soulmate. She's, there are no words. M- my friends like to tell me how wonderful I am and how, what a great daughter, but oh my gosh, my mom, just solid as a rock from the beginning.
1: <laughs> yeah. The caregiver, I I know. I think it sounds, well, not I think, it does sound like you guys are all really lucky to have her. Yes. Yes. She's, she's the... The glue that holds it all together. Was he ever violent, aggressive, anything of that nature, or was he always pretty docile? Minus home invasion.
2: Right. There was never anyone home, which was why I thought it was kind of odd that it was home invasion. For some reason I I had always pictured home invasion as a masked man. But busting through your door
1: yeah not Uh, like can i just put that in your cupboard yeah (laughs) and that's exact i can see
2: him in the bathroom opening the medicine cabinet going oh i wonder what those are for (laughs) oh Um, but he's um verbally abusive sometimes Mm. um he'll get very angry Uh, i mean this is a guy who said dag nabbit so to hear him throw out an F-bomb or a, uh, he gets really creative with his verbiage when he's angry, which is a lot of the time now. He's in a constant state of frustration and, um, yeah, it's been, these last couple of years have been pretty rough.
0: You have siblings, right? I have a sister, yes. And yeah. are you the oldest? I am. Okay, me too. I am. You sound like an older, the oldest child. <laughs> and you want
2: to take care of
1: mom
0: (laughs) yes
2: well and my sister you know my she's still currently living in colorado if i called her and said i need you to come home now she would come home now
3: Mm.
2: but the truth of the matter is and you know as it is with any family some of us are equipped with this set of skills some of us are equipped with that set of skills and truth be told my dad and i were never very close we I love my dad more today than I ever have in my life. With with all of the craziness in his head, we are tight. We are buddies. He loves me. I don't doubt it for a second. I couldn't have said the same thing when I was in high school.
1: Mm. My
2: sister, on the other hand, is a daddy's girl.
1: Mm.
2: There was no way she could, and I don't mean this with disrespect, but there's just no way she could have watch this evolution like I can, right. I, I just, he and I just didn't have that, that relationship. So we thought it would be easier, you know, something that I could handle. I'm a little more pragmatic and distanced. And yeah, now I can't believe I'm saying it, but we have our relationship today is better than any other time in our lives.
0: That's
1: the silver lining. That's that, the beauty of it. That is the silver lining. I yes.
0: think I'm going to take what you just said with me. Um, I think you said it so beautifully. We've talked to a lot of people about the dynamic of siblings and family members that don't, maybe aren't participating as much in the care. And I think the way that you said it—that we're all equipped with different, I guess, tools and different ways yeah. of handling things—and i think that's a really mature way of looking at it like a really (laughs) thoughtful and nice way of looking at it because it's very easy to be like i'm going home to help mom why aren't you you know um oh
2: yeah we've had those conversations too
0: where are you yeah (laughs) it's easy to do that but it's also that you're very compassionate to say you know what i recognize probably really hard for her because she was the daddy's girl,
2: you know? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, she, to think of her here dealing with this bothers me, Uh, you know? And I don't know if that's the big sister thing or, or what that is, but I, well, as you know, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. Nope. Uh, My worst enemy in the world, I would never wish, and so I certainly wouldn't want to see my sister having to deal with this. And yeah, yeah. That's yeah, really I'm so sweet. Glad
1: we're here. Yeah. Hey, sis, you hear that? Like, that's really <laughs> yeah, <so right>? sweet. <laughs> wow, that's really sweet. I think it's also really interesting. And I think Pete might be the only person that I now know um, that still speaks. Like, that was one of the, the quickest things to disappear for my dad. And I would give almost right. my right arm to hear the voice. What What is he talking about? Is he talking about what he's doing or is he talking about like abstract things? What do you hear from him?
2: Well, you know, when he was still kind of sort of making sense, like four or five years ago, he was talking about his best friends from childhood, oh. guys who he hadn't seen in forever. Oh. It, it was almost like he was... Living back there again, because we were talking about Chickie and Dougie and Jerry and Wayne. And I know all of these crazy stories because he told me the same stories over and over again. Now it's about, uh, we, we live on an old dairy farm and my dad has been feeding the deer in the winter for 30 years. And they come back every single fall. And still, even last winter, we had it set up so he could go out and feed them now he's all about the property and the trees and the deer and the bunnies and the chippies and he can sit in the window and watch we have like 12 bird feeders on the big wraparound porch and it's all about the animals it's all about the weather it's he's living more in the moment right now than i think he ever has in his life because
0: it's all getting the chills
1: this is really beautiful (laughs) I'm like picturing just sweet little Pete looking at deer. Like I'm just, I want to hold him a little bit, like swaddle him up and just sort of rock him. Like he's saying, Yeah, oh, yeah. I buddy. feel that
2: way too. And then he'll throw out a zinger out of the blue that makes me go, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> where did that That's come I, from?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Did you wow. just call me a baby elephant? <laughs> I think you just called me a baby elephant. <laughs> Oh, and still taking him out in public. Oh my goodness. We were at the doctor the other day and a girl came walking by with pink hair and I thought, oh, please.
1: Here it Pete.
2: Please Pete, keep it low, keep it low. Oh. All he said was,
1: wow.
2: <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my Sounds
1: goodness. very endearing.
2: Yeah, he's a goofball now.
1: He's still able to live at home and he's still able to speak, what about like his um, sort of daily, like is he, one of the things we see is just the lack of hygiene, the lack, that a lot of people stuff, they put just a ton of food in their mouth. Are you guys seeing any of those behaviors? We kind of compare him.
2: Last year he was kind of like having a six or seven year old boy around. And okay. this year it's kind of more like a three or four, like a toddler, we, we have to dress him. Uh, we have okay. to take him to the bathroom. Uh, we bathe okay. him, comb his hair. Uh, he will eat just about anything you leave out on the counter, so we have to be careful. He never wants to eat when we eat, but he seems to be constantly snacking. We have a lot sounds of sounds like
1: a four-year-old boy. Yeah, yes. Yes, exactly. I live with <laughs> one of those. Yes. <laughs> we have
2: like bowls with Chex Mix and pretzels strategically placed around the house that of course no one else uses because who knows where his hands have been. But yeah, it helps a lot with his, when he gets an urge, it keeps him out of the fridge or the pantry that we had to put a deadbolt
0: on. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, you come up with those fun strategies. When did the alcohol kind of that issue drop off?
2: Well, what happened was when he, he was initially arrested in 1999 and after that happened, he was still working as superintendent of schools for brighting township he retired immediately because even though he didn't think he had done anything wrong he knew he did something wrong and he did he just thought i've got to i've got to step back and figure out or you know that could have been my mom actually thinking about it but so he retired <clears throat> in 2000 and that's when the drinking really escalated mm. i was home for a wedding and that's when we found that he had drunk all the bottles in the house. And um, by the time my parents had gotten back from Green Bay, he was in full DTs He, because I hadn't let him drink for a few days. Wow. And he was in massive withdrawal. Mm. So my mom took him uh, to the hospital and they ended up rapid detoxing him that night. His blood alcohol content was terribly high and we don't even know where he found it and uh and so he ended up being they said he was situationally a situational alcoholic which i'd never heard that before
3: Mm, Uh, we have a
2: history of alcoholism in our family but he was a situational alcoholic meaning if this ftd or whatever was going on with him hadn't happened he most likely would not have become one so after he was detoxed it was kind of a non-issue. We just kept all the booze out of the house, and he didn't go anywhere where there was any booze, and he hasn't really had anything since. There was, I don't know, it was almost like a side effect, a temporary side effect. Yeah,
0: sometimes I feel like it's a phase. It was a phase for my mother, Um, and then I don't know. It's like all of a sudden one day that wasn't the thing she was obsessed with. She became obsessed with wandering and leaving the house so kind of traded one thing out for the next right but um alcoholism i don't know if i should even call it alcoholism but alcohol excessive alcohol consumption just about comes up in almost every single episode that we record and i noticed that as well yeah and um i don't know i i i I'd love to ask a doctor why they think that is a
1: symptom.
0: Um, Right.
1: My dad, he would go put on the same outfit, walk the same way to the store, get two beers. Um, And it wasn't necessarily, he was like hammer drunk. It was like the ritual of it, like pouring it in the same cup. Oh,
2: sure. The routine. Well, that's
1: why some people
0: in support group actually would say that they would fill uh, like, um, you know, wine bottles with juice and things like that. And their loved one wouldn't even notice because it was just all about, okay, it's five o'clock. It's time for my drink. Um, It wasn't about the alcohol so much as like you're saying. I mean, I'm sure there's different cases, but I think for my mom, it it was her obsession or her stage of
1: that period of time. But I also wonder, Aaron, I think you said it, like, there could have been a time when he knew something wasn't right. And what else do you do? I'm just going to numb out. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to worry. Right. And that's, I I see a lot of the alcohol use right at the, towards the beginning when they're still, you know, seemingly okay. And then like now, I mean, I don't think my dad could open a bottle, but I don't think it would, if he was like Pete and still, you know, up and moving, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it would be that drive anymore. I think I, I've always wondered that, like, was he using that to just cope or was it like, I need that fix. Cause it wasn't strong. It was Corona. Like, right. Right. Oh right, right. So that was a, that was a tangent, but we I think it's put that on the list
0: of things we need to ask a doctor someday when we get a doctor on the podcast.
1: <laughs> Why? <laughs> I have idea. What they
0: know, but
1: it's. So I'm right. sure. I'm sure it's some study. There has to be a study. There's always a study. Well,
0: I just want to say that I think, speaking about the alcohol and a lot of the things that we bring up on this podcast, you know, there's people living in different parts of the country that you know, don't have support groups or don't connect with people online. And they might hear your story of even like the home invasion and they might have thought, Oh, that was only my, you know, parent who did that one odd thing. And now they, I don't know, feel a little comfort. Once I started hearing that people in support group had similar stories to my mom, there was a weird comfort in it. Like, obviously, we knew it was the disease, but just hearing that it's a lot of people that are doing this thing that have the disease, I don't know, there's some, I don't
1: know, do you know what I'm trying I to I get s- it. Yeah, there's, like, camaraderie. I, I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, company. absolutely.
2: When, um, the first time I did a fundraiser for AFTD, because it's, uh, that, um, International FTD Week is the same week as my birthday. Oh,
1: cool.
2: I wrote this thing on Facebook, and I said, You know, for some people, it's shoplifting. Uh, For some people, it's uh, inappropriate behavior. Um, For my dad, it was going into people's houses.
0: Right. It makes
2: absolutely no sense. It didn't even make sense to him, but it was his particular compulsion for who knows why. But yeah, that was the hardest part, even when I was explaining it to friends. I don't know why he does it. He doesn't know why he does it. I don't know why he goes into people's houses and checks out their spoons or, you know, right. he'd never stolen anything. He wasn't doing anything inappropriate.
1: I, I would be so curious. I, I know, have me so too. many questions. I know. <laughs> I actually him. just want to see Pete sitting on the porch with the deer. Like, and then my life oh. is, it's made. I'm Looking pretty sure. Looking at the
0: chipmunks and the deer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. So it's amazing. Just Because those girls, we call them the girls. They're generational, of course. You know, they have their babies and they keep coming back. So the herd gets bigger every year. And he is the, he can go out there and feed them and pet them. My husband and I, whenever dad was sick and couldn't get out there to feed them, they wouldn't come anywhere near us. They -hmm. would wait for us to pour out the food, walk all the way back to the porch, then they would come. My dad can call them out of the woods, wow, My girls, and they come out of the woods. I just got a chill. I don't know.
1: Yeah, me too. Total goosebumps. Wow, yeah,
2: he's he's the deer whisperer.
1: Yeah. Is there
0: anything else that you really want to share about the diagnosis side? You
2: know, I think all I would really tell anybody who's experiencing the same thing is you know in your gut when your loved one isn't right and i would hope that my mom would set a good example in that you don't stop until you find out what's going on and sometimes that means being a squeaky wheel sometimes that means i think whenever i think of my mom taking care of my dad i always imagine shirley mclean in terms of endearment when deborah winger is waiting for the pain shot and she's out there with the nurses banging on the counter going give my daughter the shot (laughs) that's how I picture my mom taking care of Pete figure it out what is wrong no that can't be it let's keep looking that that's really important when when your loved one goes sideways to follow your gut and keep asking questions and keep pushing
0: that's great advice I love that all right rachel would you like to lead us okay. in yeah
1: a, i don't i don't does pete even like need a segue he's so like he calls <laughs> Diesel, I really already love him. <laughs> he sits on a wraparound porch like <laughs> and i've i've never met him but oh, tell us what he was worthy. like tell us tell us all about my, pete
2: my cousin adam uh who's like a brother has always referred to my dad as the coolest cat he ever met. Aww. It was just super cool. I had two things he told me every single day of my life. Don't ever forget whose daughter you are and be a good girl. Aww. Oh wait and yeah, no that's good enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wanna hear another he, one. <laughs> was it the third one we won't put in. Just kidding.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I mean it was more of a he always told me and I, this has shaped me, I'm, not, I'm never going to reward you for doing the right thing. I expect you to do the right thing. You're my daughter, you do the right thing. I'm not gonna pay you for getting straight A's. I'm not gonna blow up your ego for obeying the law. You, you do the right thing because you're Pete Johnson's daughter and we do the right thing. And that's kind of, I would be lying if I said that wasn't part of the reason I was here now too. Right. I'm doing the right thing. Yes.
1: That's right. But
0: yes, yeah, he sure. was
2: just a super cool teacher. He, um, he loved teaching. He, he was a biology teacher and a chemistry teacher um, for 32 years and then became principal and eventually uh, superintendent. <clears throat> but he loved teaching kids how fun science could be. And he loved encouraging young women into the sciences. Wow. You can that's be wonderful. a nurse, you can be a doctor, you can be an engineer. What are you talking about? You know, he, this was the thing that always people do. He also encouraged his m- most brilliant students to be teachers. I love you it. You know, um, he was an amazing, amazing teacher, yeah. a wonderful teacher. Every year at parent-teacher conferences, he won the Golden Throat Award. He always had the most parents come to visit him
0: at parent-teacher
2: conferences.
0: And how many years did you say he was a teacher? 32 years. 32 we years. Figured he. Yeah, we figured he had
2: approximately 3,800 students over the course of his career. For his birthday this year, since he turned 80, I, I put it on my Facebook page. If you knew, Dad, send him a birthday card this year. Because as I'm sure you understand as well, your friends disappear when you have frontotemporal dementia. Right. Yeah, we don't see a lot of people anymore. And so I thought, well, maybe people will send them a card. We got cards from people who had them as a teacher in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Generations. You taught my granddaughter. Wow. (laughs) Massive, massive educational legacy he's left behind, especially in a small community like ours.
0: That's so beautiful. So he was a teacher and then he, he became the superintendent of schools, you said?
2: Yes. Yep. Wow. He became principal first. He went back to college. Gosh, I was in high school. And he went back and got his master's degree uh, in administration. And um, honestly, uh, regretted going into administration. He missed being with the students. All the politics, all the hand-holding, all the having to make everybody happy. He really, really missed the classroom. And I know that the kids missed him, too. And his fellow teachers missed him. But he needed a change.
1: I'd
0: love to hear how, all right, Rachel, were you going to ask the same thing? How the parents met, how her parents met?
1: Oh, No, but that's a better question. I'm really, really excited
0: to hear about your parents' love story. Okay,
2: so my mom is the uh, daughter of a beauty queen and a construction worker who met and married within two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, She was a VISTA volunteer, uh, which was kind of uh, Robert Kennedy Kickstarted it in the '60s. It's it was kind of like the Peace Corps for the United States. Got it. So she was a Vista volunteer, and he was a school teacher, and she was uh, brought to the area. We have a a lot of um, Native American people in the UP, the Ojibwe tribe, and and she came here to uh, do some volunteer work on some of the local reservations, and she went to the Kingsford High School to do some kind of presentation about what she was doing, and she met my dad. He asked her out on a date and then stood her up, although he (gasps) swears he did not stand her up, but I've got to go with mom on this one.
1: Oh, Pete, my heart. Yes. He'll He'll redeem himself. I know he will. Yeah, I know he'll redeem himself. he absolutely. Well,
2: you know, I don't know, though. He proposed to her on their way home from a bar called Bombers, uh, <laughs> by starting off the conversation with "I don't have a ring,"
1: <laughs> oh,
2: but oh, you know,
1: Pete, you got to really realistic now because now you have three <laughs> women talking about you. Woo, okay, Pete. Yeah, he it. was,
2: he was, he was rough around the edges until Sonny got a hold of him. That's for sure. Ah, uh, but uh, they ended up. She gave him a second chance. He took her skiing and that was pretty much it it was all over but he was the ski coach at the time for the high school and he took skiing which she had absolutely no interest in doing uh but she would do anything for him
3: mm.
2: and that was that was it pete johnson was off the market
1: <laughs> i love it the ring minus the ring yes We're I are have to I have, a, a have a, little, a little chat about that
0: yeah. What did they do? Did they go pick one out afterward? No. Uh, he
2: he and I picked one out five years ago and she <gasps> finally got her ring.
0: Stop. And how many years have they been married now?
2: Uh, 53 this wow. year. No, okay. 52 because my husband and I have been married 12 because we got married right after or right before their 40th wedding anniversary.
1: Aww. So,
2: and she finally got her ring five years ago. Her, her diamond. She earned, her Ooh,
1: yeah. she earned that. Oh, she
2: earned that. Big dime.
1: <laughs> so after they got married and without a ring, let's just make sure that all the <laughs> listeners hear that. Um, when did you come along? Then your sister and what, this was my, this was what I was going to ask earlier. What was he like as a dad?
2: Oh, um let's see let's see they got married in 1967 and i came along in 1969 Uh and my mom loves to tell the story of how when the doctor went out because of course he was in the waiting room back then
1: right right. and the
2: doctor was worried about telling him that it was a girl because usually men were disappointed when it was a girl and not a boy and the first thing out of my dad's mouth was oh i didn't want a boy, I wanted a girl. I'm so excited, this is fantastic. And then when they, he came to bring us home from the hospital, (laughs) he left her sitting in the car. Like he got out of the car, walked around to the front seat, grabbed, took me out of her arms and went into the house. (laughs) (laughs) She never let him give that down. (laughs) He went immediately into the house, started to fix a bottle. And it was he and I from there, and then my sister came along a couple of years later. And he was he was a wonderful dad. He taught us to read. He read us to uh, stories every night before bed and sang to us. Was a really really good little kid dad, you know, very in the moment. Very and and it was really important to him that we were that that we read a lot that that we appreciated. Our education was very important to him. And, okay. and that meaning knowing the names of all the birds at the bird feeder.
0: Wow. And
2: being able to identify the trees in the backyard. And mm-hmm. uh, Goofy love songs from the 60s, like I Gave okay. My Love a Cherry. I know every word to that song because he sang it to us all the time. I love
3: that. <laughs> That's
0: so sweet. That's so sweet. And did you girls pursue science in any...
2: Oh my gosh! Not at all. <laughs> we couldn't be farther. And that's, that is so funny because what I'm going to read uh, that he wrote directly references that. Oh wow! Okay. Kind of assumed that we would be biochemists. My sister runs a children's theater in Colorado, and I worked. Uh, I bounced around at a bunch of jobs. I ended up working at a small ski resort in Colorado called Sunlight Mountain Resort. Nothing, nothing remotely scientific about either one of us at all. He would sit and study with me for my biology tests, and I still couldn't get anything better than a C. It it just ripped his heart out.
0: (laughs) I get it. I'm not a science person at all. (laughs) I oh it. <laughs> no I, it
2: was a disaster from the yeah we're all very theatrical musically inclined writers mm-hmm. nothing scientific or no no couldn't be farther away from that which was a huge That's disappointment funny. to him but he
1: <laughs> took it like a champ. good old teeth yep. what or how if he could describe it how would he do you think would he like to be remembered?
2: Uh, he would, I know that he would like to be remembered as a teacher, a, a teacher of all people, of all things. He would want to be remembered as a godly man, as a family man, uh, and just a good man,
3: mm-hmm.
2: a, an honest man, uh, and he is and was, and. You know, despite the FTD diagnosis, despite the jail time, <laughs> he is all of those things still today. And that when I when I sit with him or I'm up with him in the middle of the night or we're having a bad day, I still see that when I look at him. He still is trying to teach me things now. I, I know he is well, I might just be telling myself that, but I I really believe
0: he is. You have such amazing perspective. And I think you have such a positive lens on everything that's happening to you. And, and I feel very inspired by that. I'd love to know, like, where do you find that positivity and that, that I don't know how to describe it. Like, how do you think you've gotten to that place while dealing with really this tragedy in your family for 20 years.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I think I'm kind of, I'm not, this might be a weird reference. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the Enneagram.
1: Yes. Are you
2: too? I'm a five. So (laughs) when I was faced with this situation, I took it upon myself to educate myself as much as I possibly could about what this disease is and what it does. I still get stuck in a rut of, trying to come up with an excuse for why he's doing something. Is this, is this making him feel better? Is it, is, is this a knee jerk reaction? Does he need to go to the bathroom? It's all like, I kind of approach it as a big puzzle.
3: Mm.
2: Um, but also I, I have a tendency to be a very negative, um, depressed, uh, glass half empty person. And that, wasn't serving me in any conceivable way it's it's difficult for me to look on the bright side it's a challenge I work at it I would be a disaster if I didn't make the concerted decision every day to see the good to accept the good that's what I love about listening to both of you talk because it's about the good and no matter how frustrating and don't get me wrong I get frustrated. The two girls yeah. sitting in the kitchen right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a miracle. Let's just, you know, maybe it's just, It's. I'm just really, really lucky that that I can always see the good. I've mm-hmm. always been like that. Even when right. I didn't want to see it, it's always very obviously revealed to me in one way or another.
1: That's so beautiful. <laughs> I know. God, I wore my glasses because I'm like, I probably won't cry today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too tired to cry. Okay. God. <laughs> I think it's also hitting it hard too, because the last couple of people have been moms. They lost their moms and I am a daddy's girl. I'm like, I mean, yeah. to a fault. And so hearing somebody feel the same way about their dad is like, really sweet
2: yeah well and and i can't i can't believe how much closer we are now i mean he's almost completely disappeared and i still i still love him more now than i ever have i i don't know i think the whole thing is just kind of miraculous lucky for me thank goodness
1: since i am (laughs) like the quiver you know the quiver when you start crying like that's yeah (laughs) <laughs> Whenever it comes that I'm talking to my kids, I'm like, hold on, mommy's gonna go pee. And I like run off because when I cry, they freak out. They just like don't know what they're like. Mom's crying again. What do I do? So, Maria, you say it because I'm gonna do the quiver and okay. then my kids will hear it when they're listening back.
0: Okay, we cannot wait to hear Pete's brilliant words.
2: <laughs> Better be
0: good. All right. <laughs>
2: So when, yeah, Pete, don't it <laughs> right, That let you down. So when he was getting his master's degree, he did his thesis on the caring aspects of being a teacher, and how it was just as important to care about your students as it was to educate them, and that students couldn't learn unless they knew they were cared for.
0: So, Rachel, go get your tissues.
2: He wrote a a book called The Caring Teacher, and um, this is the last page of the book. It says, finally, tell your students that happiness does not come from success, but rather that success comes with happiness. I became a better teacher when my two daughters became the age of the students I was teaching. I'm sure that that is no surprise to any of you. Of course, because I majored in biology and chemistry, I was absolutely certain that both of my daughters would be biochemists when they made their career choices. Right now, as I am writing this book, my oldest daughter is engaged to a wonderful young man whom she adores living in Colorado and working at sales at Sunlight Mountain Ski Resort. My youngest is living in Colorado as well, about to celebrate her one-year wedding anniversary and is training as a graphic designer project assistant at a landscape architecture firm. Years ago, they would not have been labeled as successful by my definition, being that they had strayed from my chosen field, but now I can see that they are. They are happy and healthy. They are serving others, encouraging by their example, supporting causes that they believe in, and being good girls. Besides, I have decided that we already have enough biochemists in the world. Teach your students that when they serve others, raise a family in a safe and secure environment. Encouraged by their example, support a cause, pray for the unfortunate, love their neighbor, and dream their dream, that is success.
0: Rachel and I want to thank Aaron for sharing Pete with us this week. We release new episodes each week on Mondays, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast. We also have a Facebook group called Remember Me Podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Association for FTD, you can do so on our Classy page, give.classy.org slash podcast. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez, and the beautiful music you hear is by Bailey Kent.